Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. It's no secret that over the past four years, the United States and China have had an increasingly tense relationship. With the U.S. presidential election fast approaching, what does the future hold for the U.S.-China relationship? I've asked Matthew Bay, who is Stratfor's senior global analyst, to navigate us through the fourth quarter forecast for the U.S. and China. Matthew, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Stratfor has identified that recent political and regulatory risks for businesses investing in China are increasing as the U.S. ramps up efforts to decouple its financial system from Beijing's. Can you identify perhaps the top three items businesses will need to monitor over the fourth quarter and into the new year? Um, There are several different uh, issues going on right now that are worth monitoring, Um, not necessarily because they affect um, all businesses, because uh, with the exception of the U.S.-China trade deal itself, Um, But rather because um, right now the U.S. and China, they're starting to take their gloves off when it comes to the economic competition between the two of them. Um, And then that can lead to either China or the United States becoming more aggressive in the way that they handle other companies that are that are from the opposite country. So U.S. companies that are treated by China and and vice versa. Um, One of those is the ongoing saga that is continuing about the structure of the proposed TikTok deal. Um, the United States has been very aggressive in demanding that um, the a, a U.S. company right now, it looks like it's going to be Oracle and Walmart, um, gain control of the of the Chinese uh, app TikTok. Um, this is a, a national security issue, but the way that Beijing is starting to interpret it, it they're also interpreting it as a um, export control issue where they're concerned that TikTok's its value and essentially of its algorithms is something that the U.S. is essentially trying to use national security concerns to shake down a, a Chinese tech company. The second one that I would uh, draw attention to is the proposed list for China that is called its reliable entity list. Um, what this is going to be doing is any companies that are placed on it uh, would no longer be viewed as being a reliable partner for Chinese companies to work with. Um, this can mean that de facto, effectively, any company that can be placed on it, Cisco is one rumored uh, company, for example, to be placed on it, would see a lot of its contract and business opportunities inside of China and then also overseas with Chinese partners being far more reduced as China would no longer essentially view it as a reliable company. China has not necessarily released the actual list yet, um, but they are in the process of doing that, although it's been a, a slow process they've been working on now for more than a year. Um, And then the final one is the U.S.'s assault against Huawei, the Chinese uh, telecommunications company. Um, Earlier this month in September, we did see the United States' new export controls that essentially cut off all of Huawei's access to global semiconductors that are produced using U.S. manufacturing technology um, go into effect. And, and, And Huawei is essentially, it's the telecommunications counterpart to TikTok. TikTok is the biggest app that China has overseas. Huawei is the biggest uh, tech company when it comes to telecommunications that, the, that China has overseas. And right now, the United States is going whole uh, very heavily against both of them and threatening to either completely disrupt their, their business models or demand um, them being bought out by the U.S. in the case of TikTok. Matthew, could we jump in a little bit deeper on TikTok and Huawei? Uh, One of the things that you mentioned was they were both identified as national security issues. Is this sort of turning the tide on China, who for decades was accused of stealing U.S. secrets and technology from businesses that had their manufacturing base there? 
Um, that is a, a, a way that it is done. Of course, uh, China has always been very active in uh, disrupting the business activities of U.S. companies that have wanted, been wanting to sell into China um, through things like um, re- national security-related reviews of equipment that, say, a company like Cisco would export to China to then be used in Chinese um, computer systems. And then, of course, China, the concerns over industrial espionage, sometimes when it comes to reviewing some of those things that the, they were reviewing for national security concerns, you would have the engineers from like a, a company like Huawei could be on that. And, of course, you would have the the technology uh, theft aspect of it. Um, to a degree, yes, uh, there is an aspect of the U.S. turning the tables against China on this. Um, however, despite the politicized nature of the TikTok stuff in particular, um, the U.S. does have legitimate uh, national security concerns when we're talking about it viewing China as a strategic peer to the U.S. moving forward. Any l- access that, that China might have to U.S. data is something that is going to be a national security risk, especially as the U.S. In- uh, economy and the U.S. industrial base is more dependent on things like artificial intelligence, which require a lot of data to, to process. Now, with that being said, um, the United States is put, taking a very strong stance against both Huawei and TikTok and also the Chinese app WeChat, which is another one that the U.S. is banning um, to some degree, in the sense that it is now saying that it's going to essentially view data sovereignty as a national security concern. Um, this is something that is, of course, long existed before the United States. But when you think about global systems and global economies and global countries that are competitors to the U.S., they can actually use that to hit the U.S. quite hard because of the United States tech sector is so dominant overseas. And it's not just China that has a that has been looking at the cutting down the dominance of U.S. large tech conglomerates like a Google, like an Apple, like a Facebook. It's also the European Union. So in some ways, the United States is also just giving a reason for other countries to also go through a, a very aggressive data sovereignty push against U.S. companies while they're doing it against Chinese companies. So this data sovereignty push, is it likely that framing it in the national security sense, which I, I understand is a significant issue, would also get the EU and other business allies, especially uh, on board with the United States strategy? Well, the European Union is on board with the idea that the the West, so to speak, has to be more aggressive against China's industrial policies at, at general. Um, however, when it comes to the European Union and Europe, there's not really a, a lot of dominant internet companies or big tech giants that are similar to the Microsofts or the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks. They're all American companies with the exception of you know one or two, TikTok being one of them, of course. Um, so in some degree, to some capacity, the European Union is wanting to also strengthen its competitiveness, not just against China, but also against U.S. tech companies as well, which is why right now they are exploring rules that could actually force U.S. tech companies to um, start to either sell off some of their assets within Europe or restructure them in order to deal with European concerns over anti-competition and anti-competitive practices by U.S. tech companies. Of the three items that you listed are they all going to be prominent during the fourth quarter and possibly into 2021? They're all likely to be the pro- uh, prominent into the th- uh, fourth quarter and deep into 2021. Um, when you look at right now the U.S.-China relationship economically, it's been one that's uh, been rising competitiveness for the last uh, four years, really, um, and, and to, to a certain extent beyond that. Um, and while 2019 and the first half of 2020 was really uh, all about the trade war between China and the U.S., 
Um, as we moved into 2021 and, of course, the qu- fourth quarter of this year, it's progressing beyond the trade war. The tech war is now the, 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 the main area where the U.S. and China are competing. When we talk about uh, the U.S. presidential election, and you and I have touched on this briefly in the past, should there be a change of leadership in the United States? Would anything change quickly in regard to any of these major items? There would be nothing that would be changing dramatically quickly. A Biden presidency would still be looking at China as a strategic peer. It would still have many of the same goals that the Trump administration has in the sense of the principles that are supporting those goals. So the idea that the U.S. needs to protect its own companies, the U.S. needs to um, issue uh, rules around data sovereignty to protect China's involvement in U.S. telecommunications infrastructure, all of that would stay a priority for a Biden administration. But the way that the Biden administration would actually try to achieve those policies would likely be very different than the Trump administration. The Trump administration has been willing to go very unilaterally against China, uh, both from a trade war perspective in the sense of just putting into place tariffs and not worrying about the consequences both to U.S. companies, but also sometimes over foreign companies that are not necessarily Chinese. Whereas the Biden administration would be a little bit more uh, multilateral in its push against China. It would try to in some ways, resurrect a bigger, broader alliance against China um, that has been a little bit more dormant under President Trump because President Trump has been viewing a lot of the U.S.'s old alliance structures, whether it be NATO in Europe or South Korea and, and, and Japan and, and, and Asia, as being somewhat expendable or not recognizing or not wanting to use them as the main way to counter China, but instead using these unilateral policies. The multilateral approach allowed China to become preeminent when it comes to technology and manufacturing. Would a Biden-style approach be any more effective than the unilateral approach that we have seen with President Trump? Well, the unilateral approach with President Trump has in some ways left the U.S. and Europe not unified on what to do about some of China's challenges. Um, So when you talk about the China being able to take advantage or just for whatever reason being able to export more um, globally as a manufacturer over the last two decades, if the U.S. and the EU were on the same page in terms of how to um, reform the international trade rules, Um, uh, um, to better deal with a country like China, which does exhibit both market and non-market principles, um, then you would would have a much more unified push in being able to reform the international system. Right now, the U.S. and the EU are fighting over some of those same rules, so they're not still on the same page, so it's really hard for the U.S. and the EU to come to a common position. Looking into the fourth quarter... Of course, the U.S. presidential election will be preoccupying both our allies and our business competitors. Will there be disruption in any of these after November? There will be disruption going out through or throughout the fourth quarter because the U.S. is still going to be doing the tech stuff, uh, the tech war stuff, uh, regardless of if it's before or after the election. It's both a it's both something that President Trump wants to do for political purposes. Um, ahead of the election to say that he's tough on China. But if in the event, say, for example, that President Trump loses, a lot of the hawks within the Trump administration, so people like uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, would still be pushing for a very aggressive China push um, in the last three or four months of the administration in order to essentially put a cap on their uh, anti-China, hardline China um, credentials looking on to 2024 or 2022, whether it be looking at the Senate or 
um, looking at 2024 presidential elections. In the event of a, a Trump victory, they would still have the same policies because a lot of the policies right now against China are very bipartisan. They're very strategic. They're not necessarily the ones that are just something that President Trump is, is pushing. It is a, an administration and, quite frankly, a bipartisan push at this point. For businesses looking to avert risk in the fourth quarter, what would you say is the most important of all of the U.S.-China points that we've discussed today? Um, I would say for for most businesses, the biggest risk right now is the U.S.'s expanding use of things like export controls and uh, sanctions as a way to implement its policies against China. That just means that due diligence and those kinds of things are becoming more and more of a requirement in China um, especially if you are a company that's being investing in China. Usually the export controls, the question around knowing your customer, those kinds of anti-money laundering concerns, those are generally more about concerns for you know doing business in the Middle East, whether or not you have connections to terrorist groups, or if you're dealing with very sensitive technology that usually has a direct military application. Now the U.S. is starting to widen those nets even further, um, and the U.S. is now starting to basically say that anything that's an industrial significant technology and one that's emerging, uh, and an emerging technology that's going to be industrial significant, that's on the same level of importance for the U.S. to protect um, and not have China gain access to as military technology. So there's that, that line between military technology and commercially oriented technology as it relates to export controls is increasingly becoming um, blurred, uh, both from a, a, a technology and export perspective in terms of the goods that you're exporting, but also from a, a, a customer-based uh, issue where the U.S. is now starting to just view Chinese customers that may have three or four or five or even six degrees separation from the Chinese military complex as being essentially the Chinese military complex, even if they're not directly a Chinese military, directly linked to the military themselves, but whether or not their partners are. Matthew Bay is Stratfor Senior Global Analyst. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Stratfor and RAIN help you contextualize events as they happen and foresee events on the horizon. We help you understand what happens next. You can read more of Matthew Bay's comprehensive forecasting on the U.S.-China relationship and prepare for what happens next with a subscription to Stratfor Worldview. Check out the special price for podcast listeners at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's stratfor.com slash podcast offer. All one word. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 